Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to discuss the defense from that big win over the Seahawks on Sunday. It's going to be a fun episode, I know, for a lot of reasons. We've got a great game to discuss, and we've got Gabe Ferguson here to discuss it with. Gabe, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken, and yep, I'm looking forward to this one. It's a dominating performance, and it's always fun to talk about those games. Yeah, sure is. Uh, this is the third now complete trampling of what I think will all be playoff contending at least opponents this season they destroyed the browns in cleveland whether or not it was a backup quarterback they destroyed detroit with no real excuses for detroit offered from that game in baltimore and then they just did basically the same thing to the seattle seahawks here uh and they are pretty much without excuses after making a huge trade during the week uh to get leonard williams yeah and it's it's twice now that we've had highly billed games, I think going into it with, with between the Detroit lions and, and, and the, the Seattle Seahawks, you know, division leading teams, um, teams that have had a lot of expectations coming into the season that they played well. And then it just become a laugher, like almost immediately. Uh, the, the lions game probably a little faster than this game in terms of like how quickly it got out of hand, but um, just, just a really impressive performance overall. And I, th- I think this is something that, you know, this Ravens team obviously is very capable of, and I, I'm hoping that we might see a few more of them down the stretch as well. It, it would be great because they're going to play some good teams. So it'd be nice to pick up one of these, maybe in the playoffs would be a, would be a great time for it. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that naturally comes up whenever they have a big win like this and they beat a really good team is where does this fit among the great Ravens wins of all time? And I, I want to be clear about the definition I'm asking here for. And we've already talked about this pregame, so pre-show, so you've had a chance to kind of make up your own list here. But we're talking about dominating wins. We're not talking about what was your best football game or what was the first football game you went to or when some player gave you a glove or how great the game was because of the Mile High Miracle. We're talking about times where the Ravens beat the snot out of an opponent and hopefully beat the snot out of a good opponent and I would think, you know, it, it means that much more when they do it in the playoffs. But uh, all of those factors together, not a, not a close game by any means, just a one-sided dominating beatdown of a win, which this 37-3 win over the CX certainly qualifies as. Yeah, I um, this one is definitely on the list. It's, it's I think both the games that we talked about, the Detroit game and this game would, would go on the list. And um. If I'm having to rank them, you know, I think for this season alone, I actually think the Detroit game is a little bit more impressive mm-hmm. than the Seattle game. Um, there's a few reasons for that. One is just the way it was basically over in a quarter against against Detroit. You know, they came out and they had three three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out on defense and touchdown, 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 touchdown on offense. You can't ask for a better start to any game than that. And and it was 
the rest of the game was pretty much garbage time. Like there really wasn't much more of that game. The Ravens kind of took the foot off the pe- pedal at, at halftime. Like they could have scored another 35 points in the second half if they'd want to. And they just, they just completely didn't try to. So that, yeah. that for me would be my third, like third overall. And just oh, third overall. Oh, that's a, that's yeah. a good one. Okay. So we'll jump right yeah. into the list here. Fantastic game, by the way. And I, I, uh, I loved it. The, the 28 to nine, sorry, 32 to nine edge in plays after the Ravens fourth drive, when they scored their fourth TD and they'd had three, three and outs is just one of the most amazing statistics I've ever seen in terms of uh, dominating a football game. I'll give it my number three game. And it's, it's one that I always recommend to people who maybe they have somebody in the family or a younger fan. That's, that's just, you know, wasn't around back in 2011 have them watch this game when you want them to understand just how dominant the Mount Rushmore and Ravens defenders were. Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Haloti Nada. Those four guys on opening day against Pittsburgh in 2011 put together one of the biggest beatdowns in, in franchise history, 35-7. to seven. Um, it, They won the turnover battle 7 to nothing. All of those four Mount Rushmore players had contributions, I believe, to multiple turnovers in that game. So it's one of these things. There, there was so many turnover shares to be allocated. It's even funny. Haloti Nada had one of the biggest hits you'll ever see on a running back. His eyes got all wide. The ball came loose. He fell on the football himself. Uh, he tipped another ball for an interception. That went to Lewis, I believe. Uh, Suggs had a couple of strip sacks. And Ed Reed, of course, had picks on the back end. So it's it was it just was that kind of a beautiful day, an opener. And it's one of the few times I've actually seen Tomlin get emotionally upset on the sideline at his own players. And and, and that was something really special about that game. But they they turned the ball over right away. They they gave up a touchdown, then they turned the ball over again. And it was one of these, you know, three play sequences where Tomlin just exploded at his own players in terms of what was happening. That was that was going to be my number one game actually. So okay. um, I, I'm glad you mentioned one of my all time favorite games um, as a Ravens fan. Um, it, it was sweet because of the way the 2010 season ended. You know, losing to Pittsburgh in the playoffs in like a really excruciating way um, to come back and have that next game against them and kind of hand it to them. Um, one one of my favorite plays in that game was actually uh, the Jarrett Johnson play. I, it, some of the older fans might remember him completely depleting Heinz Ward in the backfield. Very fun play to watch. Um, but yeah, just the overall dominance of that game. That was, that was extraordinary. So um, I, I love that game. I'm glad you had it there. So I, I think I'll, I'll pivot to a game from the 2019 season that I thought was extraordinarily um, beat down ish, which would be the Rams game mm-hmm. um, where, where I think it was a Jackson five performance, you know, five touchdown passes, um, defense completely dominated um a, a Rams team that you know they may not have may not have been as good as the previous iterations of the Rams teams a couple seasons before that or even the previous season but they're still a good team you know they had a lot of good players um Sean McVay head coach team and you know the Rams were favored going into it but they weren't favored by 40 points you know uh-huh. that, that was a really dominant performance and that, and that was a fun game to watch on Monday Night Football yeah, outstanding game, and it's number five on my list, which you can find, by the way, in my article this week on the defense if you want to want to take a look for that. Appreciate the, the opportunity to plug that. Eric Weddle had the base comment, a best comment about that. They peeled our faces off. and I just, It's just a comment that I absolutely love coming from Weddle. He told it like it is there. Uh, Weddle, you know, when I first heard him speak, by the way, did not really seem like a particularly great leader 
to me. Um, he did some things on the field in, in camp that I think he probably was told not to do again. But the the offense was going through a tough run against the defense. And Eric Weddle is over there on the sideline watching the number twos beat up the number ones and the number twos on, on offense. He goes, you guys look like the Bad News Bears offense. You look like the Bad News Bears. And I, I couldn't tell exactly where it's coming from. And uh, Sandusky tells me that's that's Eric Weddle saying that. <laughs> like, it's just it's, it's it was it was just really funny I, but but anyway he uh he obviously uh you know, loved the game and that was a uh a, a game he obviously felt bad losing the ravens are in an amazing streak of basically scoring every single drive when they got to la they they played the, i think the cincinnati game the previous week or the next week i kind of forget which which is the lamar spin game yep um and they basically were unstoppable on offense during that time it was also the the rams game was the um revenge game for Marcus Peters and he went out there and he got a pick yep. and then he had the jawing at Jalen Ramsey after the game. Yeah. A lot of reasons to enjoy that game. And obviously the Ravens were in, in the middle of like a, a tremendous streak, like you said with the, the scoring streak, but also, I mean, they were in the middle of their 12 game win streak at that point. Um, so that was, that was a really fun game for sure. All right. So I, I have to call, call my number two game. We go both way back in, in the annals of Ravens history of this to 12, on that day. The Ravens beat the Tennessee Titans 41 to 14. Well, 27 point win over the Titans. Sure. It's a big one. That was a Titans team that came one yard away from tying the Super Bowl. Um, So, you know, it's one of the best teams they've ever beaten period. And they beat them by 27 Um, in that, in a lot of ways that started a four game winning streak. And that was kind of a coming of age game for the dynasty that really led into that 2000 season where they were terrific, of course, all the way through, but they had a, uh, they had a loss at the end of the regular season to, to new England. And they were just barely eliminated on the, I believe the second to last week of the season, um, uh, before they, before they played that game against new England and, uh, had a four game winning streak and, and, Played great defense throughout that streak. And uh, I remember Rod Woodson returning a, a, a pick for a touchdown from that game. I don't remember too much else about it other than saying, you know, sitting with friends in the upper deck that I didn't normally go to football with. These are a bunch of actuaries from around Transamerica. So we're in from other cities. And they, I basically said, they've never played a game this good. And, and it was absolutely true. They'd never played a game anywhere near this good. And uh, it was an exciting one. Yeah, that that was the game. That was you know I was a little younger for that one, um, and I I remember you know the, the Titans were a good team then. I, I was like, okay, this Ravens team is you know they're they're not just a bunch of kind of talkers. You know they actually have something to them at that point. Um, so they had my attention then um, as as a younger fan, um, and I think that obviously the next year they were realized as their full potential of, of what kind of a dominant defense and, and running team they could be. Um, so that, that was, that was a, that was a good one to go back to it in the earlier, you know, phases of, of the Ravens as the team that they were going to become. Okay. So your number one game was the Pittsburgh game. Yeah. So that, that was going to be my number one. Um, I think if I had a backup for that, it, it would actually be the game against, um, I'm struggling here. It was oh, sorry, the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's what I had. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. The Super Bowl was the, the game that I was thinking of. The, the Giant Super Bowl. Um yes. where they were, you know, just completely game over, like from the beginning. You know, it was there was a laugher. Um one of the most boring Super Bowls you'll ever watch. <laughs> Unfortunately. If you're not a Ravens fan. <laughs> you're not a Ravens fan. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was just like, 
in the biggest stage, obviously, in the playoffs, the Super Bowl, and the kind of like be a game where it's just, okay, we're going to just have fun the rest of the time because the Giants aren't going to have a chance to get into this one. It was the dominant defense performance and offense made a couple of plays early on to put lead up and that's it. Yep. 20, 27, nothing on offense to each team had a, had a kickoff return for a touchdown, actually on consecutive plays, but the 27 to nothing on offense is as dominant a Super Bowl performance as there's ever been. Uh, I think what do they have 112 yards or something? hundred might've been 112 yards passing. Um, Ray Lewis, despite the fact that he only made five tackles in the game, had four PDs in the first half. Uh, one of them went for an interception to Jamie Sharper. He didn't get an interception himself, but just an unbelievable game, highlighted by that that uh, you know come from behind trip up of uh, who's the guy uh, running right back Bar- Barber um, uh, running left. Uh, Starks had the had the pick early in the second half to put him up seventeen nothing, and and we were of course in the stands that day jumping up and down saying that's it that's it we've got the Super Bowl <laughs> now. They probably had it at ten to nothing. In fact, you know as things turned out, they probably did, but. Um, very, very impressive win. It's the boring answer, but you just look at every way they statistically dominated that game. I, there's not another team and I, that they that they beat as badly. And that Giants team was a good team that had just yep. outscored their two playoff opponents. It's some ridiculous amount. They won the, the, the NFC Championship 41 to nothing against truly a, a not very good Vikings team. It's one of the worst teams ever to make the NFC Championship. But they won their previous game something like 27 to 7 or something, 27 to 10 maybe. But it, it was a it was an impressive win also. So the, the, the Giants, uh, you know, no slouches as opponents. The Ravens are only about two and a half point favorites in the game, which seems ridiculous at this point. But uh, but they certainly did destroy them. Yep. So you have a you have a number one as well, or is that that, that was my number one? Yeah. Okay. All right, but that's okay. We uh, we're among friends here. It's okay that you stole my number one. That's all right. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's uh, get back to the show outline so I can take us into what is next. All right. So anyway, uh, the, the Ravens uh, extended their lead to thirty five uh, to four over with thirty five sacks. That's four more than Kansas City, five more than Philadelphia, and eight more than three teams who've all played one less game: Seattle, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland. So I guess it's possible they they could be caught, but this we're at a point right now there we're nine games into the season is this is not some sort of mirage that the Ravens have a good pass rush is it I certainly don't think so um you know they their pass rush is is really interesting to me because a lot of it's scheme driven Mm -hmm. um and that is something that I mean, the Ravens' pass rush has in the past been been largely scheme driven, but they never had this kind of production. So, in, in this sense, they're putting the scheme and the players together in a way that's just making a beautiful symphony, and it, it seems like it's it's just working on all cylinders. And you know, they've done, I, I think, in my estimation, a little bit more upfront in terms of stunts, twists um, than they have in years past. But they haven't really been as heavily a blitzing team in terms of like linebackers numbers, blitzing, right? yeah. numbers blitzing and that years past. So that's a really, you know, that's an added benefit to because you're able to drop those players in the coverage and still get the pressure, still get the sacks. And that's something that this team hasn't been able to do in years past. Yeah. Pitching and defense, they always say really can't be separated. There's just too many connections between pitching and defense and baseball. There's too many connections between coverage and pass rush to fully separate these two things you know, apply control groups and really look at these. It's just too, too completely connected. The Ravens coverage has a lot to do with it. it. It's it's not just the fact that they've been good in coverage. It's the fact they play this cover too. 
And, uh, you know, they start in it. They don't always stay with it. They usually, have, you know, they can have matchup zones on each side. They can do a lot of things from it. But but the point of fact is that it, it creates fear on throwing the ball deep. And right now, um, Geno Stone is throwing out an, a bigger cloud back there of, you know, darkness or whatever you want to call it uh, over the back end of the field that the quarterbacks don't want to throw into that, uh, you know, than even Marcus Williams probably did last year. And he had a fantastic per snap production year last year. But Geno Stone has been unbelievable in terms of converting things. And whoever the Ravens have played on the other side, which has been Williams, it has been Worley, who's played pretty well there too. And it's been Hamilton for some of the time. It's even been Brandon Stevens for a little bit. Um, They've all been pretty good playing on the back end too. So it seems to be a a really plug and play kind of a – a uh, strong safety position that's that's been extremely good allowed Hamilton to move up in the box some too. And I think you make a great point about you know marrying the coverage to the pressure, and I think that's you know one of the things that Mike McDonald has done exceptionally well, and not only being able to be creative in the way he brings pressure or or you know, using sometimes simulated pressure, sometimes he'll bring a defensive back, sometimes you know it'll be a linebacker, or sometimes it'll just be the guys up front. Um, but the fact that he's able to kind of anticipate what a quarterback or what an offense is looking for in, in a first read often, and he'll have somebody who's taking away that first read seemingly every single time. And by the time the quarterback is able to make the progression to the second read, the defender's already in his face. He's, there's already pressure there, and he's having to move off his spot. And if he's not an extremely mobile and extremely talented quarterback, he's often, you know, dropping his eyes and either taking a sack or having to throw the ball away or throwing it up for uh, grabs for an interception. And that's, that's how, you know, Geno Stone has kind of benefited a few times has been a, a quarterback under pressure, you know, throwing the ball up to his space and he's been in the right place at the right time and able to make, you know, the, the, the interception in, in a time where, you know, it, it's very beneficial to, for the defense in those kind of situations. There a lot of instances, as you mentioned, of compound pressures where, the quarterback is moved. The quarterback is bothered by color. The quarterback uh, has to somehow drop his eyes, drop the ball, drop whatever to drop the timing is the really important thing of the play. That creates more time than you can imagine in terms of what the quarterback needs to do to reestablish his chance to, to, to get downfield. It's usually the end of a play, but, he, but he, if, if, he, if he loses his eyes. McDonald has a really good sense of – which quarterbacks are really bothered by color? Geno Smith is definitely one who's in that class. Goff is in that class. A guy who wasn't in that class was Josh Dobbs, and they didn't really try it nearly as much against Dobbs. They they laid off a bunch of their scheme. They did do some stunting, but they didn't use any simulated pressure in that game, uh, and they hardly used any blitzing. They haven't done a lot of blitzing, period, meaning – in my case, I'm talking about off-ball blitzes, not mm-hmm. numbers, although numbers have been really limited this year. It's been a lot of four-man rushes, but that doesn't necessarily mean the four you see is the four you get. Right. Yeah, and that's a good point about Dobbs, and I think they um, they saw what he could do with his legs a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and he's been one of the better kind of scrambling quarterbacks in the NFL this year. It's not something that maybe the average you know fan might notice about him, but it, it's something that he was actually bringing to the Cardinals' offense. It's a big reason why they were you know elevated a little bit. And you know he's not by any stretch one of the better quarterbacks in the league, but he is a veteran. He's been around, and he was you know knowing, understanding how to work in that offense. Um, and the Ravens, I think, took that away. You know they didn't want to get beat by that, and they've limited that pretty 
extremely well, I think, this season. And they haven't, you know, probably faced a lot of the, the better, like, scrambling quarterbacks in the league. But, you know, Dobbs is one of those guys, and they they were able to contain him. And I think, you know, moving forward, there will be a, probably a few other that might be a little bit better at that. Um, but I think it's something that they'll, they'll probably be able to continue. And that's one of the hallmarks of this defense, I think, is McDonald being able to come up with a, a game plan that's very in tune with what their opponent does well and what yep. they can, what he can take away from them. Um, as that's a big feature of what they do on offense. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. And by the way, this is no slight to Wink Martindale. Cause I think he did a really good job of adjusting to opponents, both, you know, during the season by what his defense was, was good at judging, you know, week to week, but to, uh, to opponents, but he did have a bias towards pressure and McDonald definitely has a bias towards coverage and being patient with the pass rush, getting home. Um, and, and trying to create these compound pressure events. And it just, it, at least initially, it's worked very well. Wink, of course, in his pressure schemes in 2018 or whatnot, when he first took over, were tremendously effective in 2018 and 19. And um, it's, this is not just favoring one DC over the other, but uh, you know, w- one, of the, one of the questions that's come up this week is, should they try and do something to extend McDonald to get him kept around or deny him interviews or... I don't think they. I don't think they'll deny him interviews. I don't, just don't think that's something Bashadi would do. But but do you think uh, do you think they'll do something similar to what they did for Eric DaCosta to try and keep him around as an assistant head coach? Maybe give him that promotion, pay him a lot more, and um, you know find a way. Maybe even in five years to transition to him being the head coach. I mean, I th- I think they would be foolish not to, not to try to do that. Um, I, I think you know he is maybe one of the best, if not the best, you know, assistant coaches in the NFL right now. Um, what he's doing with good talent, but also elevating the talent around him is, is really unique. You know, players that haven't been necessarily all-stars or pro bowlers, all pros coming from other teams come here and they immediately have a major impact role. Um, that's coaching, you know, that's putting them in the right position. And I think if you can give him, you know, we'll pay you to be the highest paid coordinator in the NFL. If, if that's something that Steve Bashotti is willing to reach into his pocketbook to do, it's going to make the Ravens a better team because of it. So I, w- I would absolutely hope that's something that they're willing to try at least. I, I do think there will be interviews. And I, I think that, you know, Harbaugh has always tried to like provide his coaches under him those opportunities. Um, he's never tried to hold them back in the past. I don't think he will with like Mike McDonald either. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, there is a chance to build something special here in Baltimore. Um and you know if if McDonald goes and goes somewhere else, you know hopefully there's someone waiting in the wings that can kind of like step into the shoes and learn from him and l- learn kind of you know the approach that he's taking. It's, I don't think it's as easy as that, but um, I, I think that if if he left, um, it would definitely impact the Ravens on, on defense to a pretty significant extent. Right. It'd be a uh, you know this this is interesting because they probably do have a succession plan that's getting ready to go. And, you know, if McDonald is here for another year or two, I would think there'd be somebody who could pick up most of what he does to try and implement that. Of course, then there's another coach, head coach running around the NFL who knows what your scheme is. So yeah. he, he's got to put his own, the new guy has to put his imprint on this in, in some way, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to have a more thorough discussion of this with, with Voss on, on Friday morning GM this week about, about how they address the situation with McDonald, but I, I just did want to bring that up real briefly here. 
Um, anyway, certainly one of the Ravens' really big assets. Today on Football Outsiders, or actually it's the former Football Outsiders, which is FTN now, Aaron Schatz has moved his um, Football Outsiders stats over there. The Ravens now sitting at 23.4% to win the Super Bowl in the Harris playoff odds modeler. The third best DeVoa ever through nine games behind two 9-0 and teams. It's a Redskins team from 91, I think, and the, maybe the 2007 Pats. I'm pretty sure that might be it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this, this is a team that is being recognized league wide as being one of the best. It's, it seems like a fairly complete team. I, I still find myself being more or less amazed by them on a week by week basis as, you know, two of the last three weeks, they've destroyed their opponents in the way they have good opponents. And even going back to that Cleveland game against a backup quarterback to go ahead and beat them 28 to three in Cleveland. Pretty damn impressive. Um, I, can are, are you emotionally ready to accept the notion that this is a team that's that's likely to go to the Super Bowl? I mean, I, I feel like I would be disappointed if they didn't make it to the Super Bowl based off of the way they've played. And a lot can change between week nine and, and week 17 or week 18. Um, you know, it there's on the one hand, I think the Ravens are a deep team. So even if there are some some unfortunate injuries that may or may not happen, um, I think they can handle that to a certain extent, perhaps better than they have in years past, especially, I think, on the skill position part. Um, and I, th- I think they have de- defensive depth as well. Um, I do think they are playing like the best team in the NFL right now. Um, they're 7-2, and two, very easily could have been 9-0. and oh. And you can't really talk about the other side of it because they haven't lost any games or they haven't won any games that they probably should have lost so like all the games they've won have been pretty soundly sound wins the, and the lost, losses, close losses yeah and close losses yeah. um so I, I i think you know I, I saw a statistic that like the Steelers, for instance if you flip the one score wins that they have they'd be or if you flipped all their one score games they're in they would be like oh and eight <laughs> so I, the, the ravens conversely you know they they would they might have one one loss. I guess the the Cardinals game would would mm-hmm. be flipped, um, but um, that game was a that was a game that they were really much better, I think, and than the final score indicated in that game. Um, so so yeah, I mean, I I would be disappointed if they don't make the Super Bowl. I, I know that the AFC has some good teams in it, um, and there's going they're going to be tested um, in the coming weeks, but I, I feel like you know this is the team that we've wanted for several years now to get to this level. Um, and they finally put it all together, offensive side of the ball, anti-offensive side of the ball. They had the coaching staff. So far, they've had a fairly healthy season. Um, and those are all the things that you need in order to not just make it, but also to win a championship. Yeah. I, I look at the rest of the season. I say, what's what positive surprises can the Ravens see? And I think we just saw one on Sunday with Keaton Mitchell. Yep. I think we've seen um, an emergence of Bateman coming back and we won't talk about this because because not the offensive show but the other thing i'm really happy to see again was isaiah likely even though all those targets i think came in the second half get back in the offense that just to me is a is a big deal um they've, they've got to get him back in duvernay got a couple of targets late i don't really anticipate him getting a lot of um targets as a wide receiver but he might get some more gadget plays they might get him in there and 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 get him gadgetized and the more of their speed weapons they can use at once. Like I love the idea of a pony backfield with Mitchell flanked out. Um, and, uh, you know, you also have flowers in, a, in an alignment like that. And you have three of your speed guys on the field at once. It could be Duvernay instead or along with. 
I mean, there might even be some package for all four speed guys, though, you know, there's only one football to go around for you to fake even to any of these players. Uh, but I just, I, I was immediately enamored after three carries with Mitchell, and that was before he got the 40 or the 60 yard run. Yeah. I mean, he just has that short area quickness, you know, that burst. Um, you know, I think I saw a stat about his 10 yard split was basically the, the second fastest in the combine just behind um, uh, Jameer Gibbs, you know, mm-hmm. the, the very explosive back you know, the lines drafted, you know, I think eighth overall, definitely in the top 10. Um, and Keaton Mitchell had similar level, like short area quickness and, and explosiveness. Uh, obviously getting him as an undrafted back, I think is a coup for the Ravens. Um, he fits a major role on the team and, you know, he's someone that probably isn't going to be a featured back. I don't think he's there's still going to be a split backfield, but mm-hmm. you never know. I mean, if, if, if he can handle 10, 12 touches a game, that might be a weapon that nobody was ex- really expecting um, to emerge for them this year. And I think that's exciting for a team that, as you alluded to, has a lot of other speed options on the field, has a lot of different ways that they can beat you offensively with a defense at the level they're playing with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. You know, it's hard to find a significant weakness there. Right. Yeah, it's just it's it's been very fun to see all these uh, emerging talents. I mean, Stevens, obviously a big emerging talent. I think what Linderbaum has done this year in, in terms of flipping it, flipping the script as a pass blocker has been one of the really big hidden things about the Ravens. There's people crowing about it, but there's there's um, I don't think people understand the significance of it and just how bad he was last year relative to good he is this year um, relative to the league as a pass blocker. I, I'm not going to plug a show every time this a topic comes up, but Timo Riska of PFF joined me. It's a, the show posted Monday. It is a fantastic excl- explanation of Linderbaum's flip. But he had the wrong data for 2022. And I'm going to post both charts, the 22 and the 23 chart. And you'll just see. I mean, Linderbaum is is this guy who's significantly below expectation in 22 and near the top of the league, second or third um, in 23 of expectation relative to blocking. And by the way, this the work that Timo did is first principles, beautiful stuff. What he did is he looked at um, – all these different facets that can occur to make pass blocking more difficult. Like if you have longer down and distances, it makes pass blocking more difficult. If you have screen passes, it makes it easier, blah, 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 blah. So he had a number of factors, about a 10 or 12 factor model. And um, the Ravens this year have had very easy blocks, but Linderbaum has still exceeded them by a lot. Last year, they've, they had much harder blocks and Linderbaum was having more difficulty in a relative sense as well. So, um, it's, it, and some of that is quality of opponent too, but anyway, really worth listening to that. If, if you, uh, if you have a chance to, it's called, uh, yeah, blocking, blocking relative to expectation or something like that. Blocking expectation. That sounds uh, actually really interesting. Just interject real quick, because, I think that's one of the hidden things that we might not see as much in the down to down play is, Mm -hmm. you know, how much harder it is to block, you know, a third and 10 or third and 15 um, because the defense has such an advantage there. And Mm -hmm. and when it's third and five, you have so many more opportunities of what you can do as an offense. Um, You don't have to necessarily drop straight back and, and pass it. You can, you can do other things. Um, and that just makes it much easier for, for an offensive line. And, and, you know, it's, and it seems kind of obvious when you say it that way, but, um, it really kind of 
kind of put shine some light on on some of those differences and, and some how the invest analytic, analytics can can take a look at that thing and and really control for some of those different variables. I think it's it brings a lot of useful information into it. Yeah, with with league wide data, they've they they do a, a good job of it. And the big data with the with the tracking of the players is going to provide even more. I think this is all done from what PFF has in terms of data, not from the XY coordinate stuff that the big data bowl gives you. Uh, but it's 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 fascinating work, and it's something PFF had resisted for many years is making any sort of adjustment for opponent quality. So uh, I think it's 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 great to hear them doing it. And Timo had some very interesting things to say. He's a very smart guy and, uh, and great about that. Let me let me bring it back for one more thing. Is is there one thing you take away from this win that is like a great omen for the rest of the year? Defense. Um, you know, I think for me, this was the first game where I, I've seen the outside linebackers fully unleashed. Um, the and seeing Clowney, Van Noy, OA rotation as pass rushers, really putting it all together. Um, and just what their versatility and ability can be on the field. Um, you know, those weren't the three that we were expecting. You know, I think we all expected David Ajabo to kind of be that third pass rusher heading into the season. Obviously, you know, injuries have um led to that not working out. Um, but Kyle Van Noy has come in and, and done just as much, if not more, than what I was expecting Ajabo to do. Um, and Clowney and Oway are both having great seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And just just seeing all three of them having the impact that they had in this game, I, I think that is a lo- is very predictive of how well they can play if they're being able to stay on the field together throughout the rest of the season. Because the Ravens haven't had that three outside linebacker rotation like that in quite a while. Yeah, they, they well, they, I guess they had Houston, Bowser, and who was their third guy last year? Probably Oway. Yeah, Oway. So, so but, that actually was pretty good. That that was a, yeah. that was a pretty good group. But, but anyway, this I I I think this one is is obviously being more productive, and I would agree yeah. that's a huge thing. I'll give you one other. I loved the alternating. Although this is make, makes it a game a lot harder to score. The alternation between Worley and Mollette, which is essentially a change between big nickel and standard nickel. So to, to go down this a little more, and we can skip a packages thing later. Worley was paired with Hamilton when Hamilton moved to slot corner. Worley played. Um, strong safety deep. And then Mollette was in playing slot corner on some of the snaps, and then you'd have um, Hamilton playing deep. But the Ravens aren't committing themselves to one or the other right now. And I think if Williams were to get healthy, there is no way in hell Geno Stone is coming off the field for another meaningful snap this year. So I think you're kind of forced to play Hamilton in the slot. Not that that's a bad thing. It's a great thing. But that, to me, coming out of this game, the the willingness to do either – is a nice is a nice way of doing it. Mollett didn't have the greatest game. He got you know thrown over one time on that thirty five yard play up the right sideline, where he didn't find the ball. Um, I, I, he he's he's done some good things for the Ravens. Certainly not been perfect by any stretch. Um, probably not the ideal slot corner in terms of giving you a lot of the things that Hamilton does. But you, you only have one Hamilton to put somewhere. And uh, I, I'm just I'm excited by the the versatility they've given themselves the rest of the season by making sure that Worley got back in there and Worley has played very well on the back end this year so far. So, so that's my element of excitement for this defense. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, having a guy like Kyle Hamilton allows you to have that flexibility, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of, of whether it's a package specific thing, depending on what the, the other team is showing in terms of their offensive personnel, or if it's just a 
a switch to back to what we saw from Hamilton, mostly as a slot defender last year. I think either way, you're you're in good shape with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just excited for where that is uh, down the stretch. You know what else was exciting about this game was finally having a decisive snap count win, seventy-three to forty-seven. Now the Ravens had some kneels, and the and the um, uh, Seahawks ended up kneeling out the game, which is always nice when you get your opponent to kneel out the game. That's a that's a beautiful thing. I I don't know what the etiquette is, but you know the the Ravens kneel twice on third and fourth down to give them the ball back when they could have you know potentially scored or gotten three hundred rushing yards or done any number of things that a fan would probably like to see. Um, but it was nice to see the Seahawks kneel it right back to them in that case. If Pete Carroll runs a play, I think he becomes kind of a mini villain in that situation. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think um, that is a little bit of a nod to sportsmanship between two of the, the more veteran coaches in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Harbaugh saying, I'm not going to run in another score on you just because I can and Carol saying, you know what, we don't need to run another play either. We're just going to end it as is. So I, I kind of expected it to go that way, knowing who was coaching, but if, if it was a, you know, a younger kind of like. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Upstart, it might have gone a little differently. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. Well, if you go back to 2019 and that first 59 to 10 beatdown, the Ravens gave Miami Flores, right? Was the coach at that point. I think it was just, just so. having his first yeah. game and he called timeout uh, with the Ravens leading 59, 10 at the end of the game to try. Yeah. And, and it was like, I want to try and get my guys another chance here. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and then they broke up the team pretty much, but before the next week, cause they traded Minka, but, uh, but anyway, it was what it was. Uh, Entire defensive backfield now playing well. You know, Rakia Sin is the forgotten man in a lot of this. Well, there's other forgotten men like uh, JAD is completely forgotten at this point. There, I, you know, it's hard to see him getting activated with with the way things have gone. But Yasin was ill for a couple of days and he practiced full on Friday. I don't know if you want to call it a healthy scratch, but he sat out this game. Uh, with an elevation from Kayvon Seymour off the practice squad. Now, Kayvon, of course, had been cut, re-signed to the practice squad, then elevated. They need him for special teams. Really interesting to see Yassine sit for a game like this. Um, And by the way, they activated Worley, who they obviously really wanted to play safety, and Yassine does not do that. So maybe it makes sense in some sense, but Yassine has played pretty damn well at cornerback to be a healthy scratch. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I I, I found because I, I don't think Ronald Darby played, although he was no, active. He, play. he was active though, so it's, it's it is interesting how kind of the 
the depth chart is shaking out now because um, he was a starting corner for the Ravens earlier this year. Rakius scene was a little bit more of a rotational player. I know he had some injuries coming into the season, so maybe they're still trying to keep him, you know, fresh and available. But to have those two veterans, you know, basically as either inactives or not seeing a, a snap is, is incredible depth at the cornerback position. Yeah. Um, and, and you're seeing very high level play for both Marlon Humphrey and Brandon Stevens. Um, and then, you know, like you mentioned with Mollette, he's, he's had really good moments at times. He's had some struggles at times as well. Um, but overall, you know, I think they seem like they're the top three corners um, and then whoever else behind them. So the, the, in terms of percentage of snaps for the season, Stevens is up there. He might have the most snaps as a percentage of anybody. Yeah, he's ahead of both Queen and Smith right now, who are the other two contenders. But he's he's at 98.6% of snaps played for the year. Hamilton's at 95.1, but we're not really talking about safeties. We want to talk about the corners. Um, then you have Darby at 41.4, Humphrey at 44%. So Humphrey, obviously, after missing a couple games, came back playing full-time. Mallette at 38.1%. Yassin, who a lot of people thought was going to be the number two corner on this team, 18.4% of snaps. 184 yeah. Barely ahead of Ardarius Washington, who was injured in the second game, has 18.2% of snaps. Um, it's It's been a really interesting. So it hasn't been any one like specific set of players other than Stevens has been the number one cornerback kind of the whole year. Uh, the Humphrey, I thought, played pretty well this game. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is Humphrey's you know best game since he's been back um, since from the injury. And Maybe it was just a matter of him, you know, finding his stride a little bit, getting comfortable on the field. Um, obviously, you know, he had that, that one big play he gave up in the Steelers game. That was that was kind of, you know, un- unfortunate. But I think, you know, over the long haul, he's going to kind of show, you know, who he is in big stretches when they need him. Because he is, I think, you know, the top guy still. Um, and he's the one that you trust to shut down your posing number one wide receiver. If, if they have a guy who needs to be kind of given that, um, you know, respect from, from your, your best cornerback. Yeah. And, and the Ravens, honestly, they play such good bracket defense right now. They give the corners a lot of help. So if Humphrey's going to get beat deep, that might not be the worst thing. And Humphrey then provides you that big physical presence up front can rush the passer he could do a lot of the things, honestly, that Hamilton do, Hamilton could do in the slot. He's just not quite as big or as long to create that looming presence that Hamilton provides you there. But uh, still a great player. Um, still one of our favorites, obviously. Uh, let's first of all, I, I don't want to jump ahead to talk about packages here. If there's anything else you'd like to talk about in terms of general thoughts from the games, things that stood out to you before we get into some specifics on packages and pass rush. You know, I don't think there's anything, one one major takeaway that we haven't kind of touched on already, but, and I don't know, you've probably talked about it with, with other hosts or um, other guests, and I just find it interesting the way this team was built. You know, the players who are the most impactful on this team are the, the middle of the defense. You know, it's been Justin Matabike, it's been Roquan Smith, Kyle Hamilton, to lesser extent, maybe not a lesser extent, Geno Stone, like the middle of the field they really are solid. Um, they've had some guys move in and out on the edges, both an outside linebacker, cornerback. That hasn't really made a huge impact because they've been so stout up the middle. Um, I should also mention uh, Michael Pierce, who's been, who's been mm-hmm. a big part of that. You know, that spy on the defense, that isn't how a lot of teams are constructed. You know, there's right. a few teams out there that are. Um, 
maybe San Francisco, for instance, is, is a good example. Um, you have really strong linebacker play, defensive tackle play. Um, but that's that's a that's a decision making process from team building. You know, where are you going to allocate your your draft picks, where are you going to allocate your um your cap money? And for the Ravens, it seems like it's it's paying off in a big way. So I, I find that to be interesting. Um and I think it's um a unique way that that they've been built and a unique way that as we talked about before with Mike McDonald, is able to use that talent and, you know, build on it to be as, as good a defense as it can be. You know, it is, it, if you're going to, you know, have to, the critical question that DaCosta needs to answer right now is where can I scrimp and still get pretty good production? So where can I, where can I use an 80% player at 20% of the price? And most teams and frankly, most fans are saying you can't win in, in without a great edge rusher. And now that the mantra has changed to you can't win in the playoffs without a great edge rusher. So we have to have Chase Young now, 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 you know, make that trade, do whatever it takes, make it happen, put it on the credit card. Um, I just, I just hate that talk. I got to <laughs> like, like, like it's a binary. We absolutely have to have this or we lose the Super Bowl kind of thing. Um, anyway, what the Ravens have done with, with the edge rusher group is basically to say, we think we can beat the production curve by spending less, by doing it the way we do. And one thing you notice in the free agent pool, and DaCosta's been great at picking the right players out of this, is that it's very deep in aging pass rushers. You know, pass rusher is a place where a lot of people come into the NFL. They want to be pass rush specialists. They know pass rushers get paid. Your great athletes gravitate towards that position. Uh, instead of, say, you know, a, a linebacker position, perhaps they, they try and bulk up and they try and be an outside linebacker. Uh, sometimes your, your great interior defensive lineman might try and slim down and try and be an edge. But anyway, you got you got your great athletes gravitate towards their, those positions. They tend to be drafted high and it makes it very hard to find really impactful rookie edges. But that doesn't mean you can't find these veteran edges who just seem to be around the free agent bargain bin every single year. And yes, it wasn't Justin Houston this year who, who was the guy. It's Kyle Van Noy out there. And he, Kyle Van Noy, my understanding is, and this is from Jordan, I think, primarily, is he thought it was a money thing. Maybe it was Voss, one of the two. Anyway, said so he thought it was a money thing, that Van Noy wanted about $5 million a year, and the Ravens you know, wanted to pay him vet minimum, maybe vet minimum plus incentives. And all they had to do was just wait a while and get them for vet minimum plus incentives. That's all it took. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little surprised that he was available when he mm-hmm. was um, considering the general, I would think need at that position. But like you said, you know, there's a, a desire more for athleticism, for youth um, than necessarily the, the veteran who might have, you know, theoretically lost a step. But to me, it looks like Kyle Van Noy has not lost a step. <laughs> he looks, he looks reinvigorated. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we'll talk, I think, probably a little bit more about him later. But um, what an addition he's been. And, you know, between him and Clowney, um, wow, they, they, they've put on a show for a pair of, what, 30-plus-year-old pass rushers um, who who were kind of left, you know, wanting. You know, nobody nobody wanted them. And, and Ravens took up that, that – um, the desire. I mean, they, they needed it. They had a need. The Ravens definitely had a need. Um, and they found the right players, like you said. Clowney, it, it's a it's a change for him. And obviously, the, the Ravens have him with a hand in the dirt a lot. They, they sometimes have him standing. But he'd been a 4-3 end for really his whole career. And now he's a 3-4 outside linebacker on a fair portion of snaps. They still play 4-2-5 on passing downs and have him hand in the dirt, rushing the passer in the way he's most familiar with. But he's been a great player standing up and holding that edge, too. And 
uh, that's been just one of the really nice things we saw it in this game in particular. So very happy with what he's brought the team. Let's move on a little bit and we'll jump into some package information. I don't have a lot to say about this. You know, normally in past years with Wink and all the multiple packages he would run, all these race car things. And and uh, there's basically been two things that have really limited packages for the Ravens this year. The first one is a lack of available outside linebackers. I mean, you can't do three and four outside linebacker packages. Almost everything is still a two. And, and the other is that they have a committed nickel defense in terms of having two linebackers they keep on the field at all times. So they never really play more than five defensive backs. They've had three snaps the whole year where they played with six defensive backs. So the, those two things combined mean the Ravens would have base and nickel are basically their two packages. And I had been including all nickel snaps together earlier in the season when Hamilton was getting a, you know, a hundred percent slot corner roll. And, you know, last year he was for, for the last eight games or so, he's basically a hundred percent slot corner roll. Uh, other, when the Ravens had five defensive backs on the field, and then he moved back to you know, strong safety. Otherwise, but the, but the point being that that um, Hamilton is a guy who I was treating as just a regular slot corner, and now we're in the situation where they're kind of making a choice between him and Mallette. And so for this game anyway, I divided those snaps into the big nickel snaps and the regular, the standard nickel snaps, which have Mallette at slot corner, just to see what the results were like. Now, this is a little bit interesting. First of all, in base defense, they play that only six times the whole game, 10 yards per play, mostly driven by that 50-yard pass play early on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, that's, that, that's an outlier, right? If yeah. six snap sample size, one big play, you know, that's going to change the numbers quite a bit. I appreciate that. Always nice to have scientists on the field who understand <laughs> sample size arguments, and uh, and you are one of those. Um, uh, all five DB rush packages combined then were all the remaining snaps. So that was... It ended up being, what, 40 of those. 20, big nickel, and 20 um, of the standard nickel. This is a nice you know, control group, standardized sizes. Um, they had uh, – oh, I've got that on another sheet. That's why I can't seem to find it in what I'm doing here. But when they were in the standard nickel, uh, they gave up uh, 68 yards on 20 plays, so 3.4 yards per play. Nothing wrong with that by any stretch. When they're in big nickel um, – 20 plays, and I've got to go to a different place to get this here because it was substantially better. Um, so, sorry, folks. When they were in big nickel, 20 plays, 23 yards, 1.2 per play, two sacks and two turnovers. Wow. Okay. So part of that is Warley outplaying Mallette. The other part of it, the other major part of it, um, is Hamilton providing more in the front end than he does on the back end? I think you just you just get more out of Hamilton when you put him in a position to make more plays, create pressure, push a guy around at the line of scrimmage as a receiver, do all the things that Hamilton does. And if I had to guess, I think they're going to stick with with Hamilton this next week at slot corner. I don't think they're going to go back to Mollette. Um, and I think when when Williams, I think they're they're happy with what Worley's doing in the back end. He's clearly outplaying Mollette, um, and that'll give them a chance then. Um, it'll it'll prepare them for when Williams returns to have Hamilton be at full at full time at slot core. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, both in terms of the matchup that they'll have against Cleveland, who outside of Amari Cooper doesn't necessarily have the most intimidating wide receiver core, mm-hmm. um, and he's more of an outside receiver anyway. So there's not probably a lot of like one on one matchups that he would have with Cal Hamilton in this slot. Um, I, th- I think that would potentially be the one concern 
um, about Hamilton playing predominantly in the slot. And, you know, I've thought that quite a bit and it hasn't really come to fruition. He's been very good in that role, kind of regardless of who he's going against. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can, especially if you can put him over like a tight end that's lined up in the slot, um, he's ex- ex- exceptionally good in, in that role at covering tight ends. He kind of is a tight end eraser at this point. Um, so I, I can see that happening and makes complete sense as well. You know, with, with Marcus Williams coming back, you can't take Geno Stone off the field. Um, he's been, he's been too good for them. And, you know, having him and Williams on the back end just provides so much, you know, coverage ability and and range in the back end and an ability to, you know, move into the box if you want to with, with Stone or Williams, who's also played pretty well in the box. Um, he can come up and, and do some nice things there. Um, that that I think that makes a lot of sense moving forward. And, you know, the Ravens have depth at cornerback. They don't necessarily need to have three safeties on the field. But they're your best, you know, five defensive backs. If it includes three safeties, then absolutely have them all out there. Yeah, I, I didn't want the tail to wag the dog in terms of where Hamilton would line up, but Stone is looking like the dog right now in terms of, uh, you know, he's got to be on the field. He's demanding a spot, so somebody else has to lose one, and then you have to figure out. And got such good results from Hamilton up front. I think it really does make sense. And uh, I, I don't even really concern myself that much about when Hamilton is try to cover a fast receiver, like if you had a Tyler Lockett or if you had a, even Tyree Kill uh, playing out of the slot, Mullet's not going to be able to stay with him either. Yeah. Um, and nor is anybody else. If you put Marlon Humphrey in there or other players, I mean, there's not anyone fast enough to do it, to deal with his whip routes and whatnot. You might as well have a physical guy who could beat the crap out of him and also create problems for Mahomes by being too large for him to throw over. Yeah, and then, and the added benefit as well of having you know a very large person in that position in run defense. Yes. Uh, I think that's an added benefit. And in pass rush, I mean, we've seen the Kyle Hamilton, you know, pass rush game where he had three sacks um, on three identical blitzes. It was quite impressive. Um, He's capable of doing that as well. The Ravens slot corners this year have six sacks and they've all been, you know, right to the quarterback sacks. Nobody's, nobody's really been blocked on any of those plays. All right, let's talk about the pass rush a little bit. And, and I, oh, I did want to ask you this. There's been talks about Ndamukong Sue coming to the Ravens. Would you be in favor of that to get a six defensive lineman, give that rotation more depth? They've, they've obviously played a lot of snaps because they always keep two on the field this year, which is unusual for them. Um, it's, I wouldn't say no to it. I don't think, um, I, I don't know if they need it but they have been healthy. So mm-hmm. if they were to lose someone like Pierce or to Matabike for any amount of time, um, I think, you know, Travis Jones is a, is a good player. I think he would be solid. Um, Roger Washington, also a good player, but they would lose some juice in the middle. Um, and and I, I think, you know, having a, a veteran body who's been there recently and been play, played well recently, I think would, would actually help them quite a bit. Okay. So the Ravens have played 2.18 defensive linemen per play this series season. And they played a lot of, of um, uh, nickel. They played on, you know, 85% or 82% of their snaps relatively at nickel. So you, you know, it's going to be about that number. So it's 2.18 anyway, that means every, if you're five guys you're depending on, they have to average 43.8% or 43.6% or something snaps 43.6. I think it is per uh, a percentage of the snaps that they play in order to fill all those snaps. That's actually quite high. There's not too many defensive linemen who can be unaffected by that kind of a camp. And in fact, right now, Matabike is playing like 60, over 60% of the snaps, I think 65. And Pierce has been playing about 56% of the snaps. Both those numbers are way too high. 
and and is one of the things I'm concerned about on this defense. If I had to be, if I had to pick something, so I really would love the idea of getting a, a backup, a sixth guy, even if it means you have to deactivate somebody on a week to week basis. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense, and you know, I like I like Brent Urban a lot. Like he he's a great guy. He's he's mm-hmm. a good player. Um, but I think there is definitely a, a bit of a step down if he has to be out there for, you know, 30 snaps a game, 25, 30 snaps a game. Um, someone like Sue, I think is more of a dominating run defender of, of similar to what they have out there with, with a, with a Michael Pierce. Um, and I'm not saying Pierce is going to get hurt, but like he hasn't been, you know, necessarily the most healthy player over his career. Um, and while Travis Jones is probably a good replacement, then who takes Travis Jones' snaps? You know, there's like a trickle down effect. Um, and I think, you know, just being a, having someone who else could just take some of that burden, like you said, on, on a game to game basis, so that lessens the risk of having an injury over the course of the season as well. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There are still people who will tell you, oh, Patrick Ricard can go in on defense. But uh, I think that I think that ship is pretty well sailed at this point, but we'll see. Hopefully we won't see, actually, but we, we, we could see, I guess. How, let's move on and talk about the pass rush a little bit. Uh, this is a game where McDonald made just modest use of numbers again. Every single play, the Ravens rushed four or five again in this game, uh, which is fairly remarkable, actually, that, they, that they've been so set in their ways in terms of not rushing three, not rushing six. But uh, with a four-man rush, they had 24 plays, 101 yards, 4.2 yards per play, three sacks and two turnovers. Three sacks with 24 four-man rushes, that is an astounding number to, to get a 12.5% sack rate on four-man rushes and throw in two turnovers while you're at it. And then with five-man rush, they had eight plays, 22 yards. So it was only 2.8 yards per play, small sample size, but they had one sack there duplicating their 12.5% sack rate with a four-man rush. They didn't have any threes, no sixes. Um, and so, you know, they allowed only 3.8 yards per pass play. That's the big story here with four sacks and two turnovers. It's going to be really hard to, to, to bifurcate or split out these sacks in some way. It's going to create bad splits, but it's still um, uh, outstanding how much pressure they're getting without sending numbers. Yeah. And like we talked about, it's, it's a lot of scheme. But it's not just scheme. Like it's a lot of players playing really well in that scheme. A lot of one-on-one wins that we're seeing. You know, Justin Matabike um, is, I think, not, he's leading. I think still leading the NFL yes, in leading the ideals. Um, interior defensive line. You know, we've had um, Kyle Benoit. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Five sacks, and he hasn't played even you know full season for them or full half season. Um, you know, he's also interesting because he's really just been a situational pass rusher for them. He hasn't been someone who has been like that one for one Tyus Bowser replacement that I think some of us expected going into the season if he was picked up. Um, and, and part of that, I think, is, you know, the difference between Wake Martindale and like McDonald, how they utilize the outside linebacker position. Um, but also, you know, he's being put in a position where he's just pretty much being asked to rush faster and he's doing really well in that role. And he's, and they have used him, they've moved him around. He's, he's come off of, you know, stunts and, and, and twists and some, some blitzes where he's lined up off the ball and, and come, you know, as a, as a late blitzer at times, but he's shown that he is capable of, you know, winning with pure speed off the edge as well. And that's 
um, how his second sack in this game happened was, was he just went off the edge and, and got that strip sack. So he's he's someone who has shown a lot of versatility in what he can do from that position. Yeah, absolutely. Got a great spin move. Um, you know, we, we're seeing Owe with a great spin move this year. And he, he, he it's not like he never displayed it. We're seeing it more. You know, maybe it's the fact that Van Noy is doing it and being so effective. Maybe there's some interchange there we wouldn't really know. Van Noy's only, as to, to your point, has only dropped a cover eight times this year, which is 6% and double the rate that Clowney had dropped previous in his career to coming to Baltimore, but it's still nothing like normal Sam linebacker user for uh, usage for a Raven uh, with Bowser dropping in 32% of his snaps in his career previous to this year. So um, anyway, I, I, I expected Van Noy to be much more of a pass rush presence than he is. And, and he's been just a pass rusher, but if he's playing at this level, that's fine. Yeah. And, and Owe, you know, you mentioned him just now. He's been really good since he got back. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he has a good pressure rate. Um, he hasn't. He only has two sacks, I think. But you know, he's getting after the quarterback and getting pressures. Um, I think he's hands down playing the best football of his career um, in this in his third year. He's having a bit of a breakout um, alongside someone like Justin Matabike, who's obviously having the best season of his career. Um, which you know, it might be a combination of having the right players around him, the right scheme. Um, or just you know ha- having some time like in in the NFL sometimes it, sometimes it takes some time for players to be in the right position to feel comfortable with with what they're being asked to do for their sometimes physically for them to develop and be able to like really take on you know that week in week out punishment of of, of the f- the position especially playing in the trenches so um, for for whatever reason we're we're getting such a great performance for all of them it's 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 really coming together in, in a great way. Yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a sum of greater than the parts kind of component to this I love, but um, OA in, in particular was asked to do a number of things that kind of, in my opinion, stunted his growth slightly. That might have been true also with Brandon Stevens in terms of getting him to play other places on the field, but Stevens doesn't belong anywhere but outside cornerback um, right now. Uh, you know, Worley, they asked to make the change and he made it like like that late career in terms of going from, from corner to safety, at least that's our thought, but you know, if you go back and look at when Worley was drafted, he was a guy they thought was going to be a safety because he wasn't fast enough to play corner. He's big, but he's not not fast enough. And and you know, it took a few years for, for you know some team to eventually figure out and eighteen transactions or whatever it was last year <laughs> to figure out that this guy's a safety. And now he, he you know he's looking good. Um, I I'm I want to go over the ATS BOQ pressure details from this game because I thought they were they were interesting. Um, so first of all, they gave Smith ample time space on seven of 32 dropbacks, 22%. That's about an, an average number. It's probably a little better than average, even for the Ravens. Um, he went three of seven for 54 yards on those passes. So 7.7 yards per pass. That's not even that good. You know, maybe 10 yards would be good. Um, Flacco, maybe it was eight and a half was good, but he also threw his interception with an amp on an ample time space. So it's not a good set of ample time and space, um, uh, results for Geno Smith in this game. He delivered the ball before pressure could develop seven more times. So that's another 22% of the snaps, 4.6 yards per play. And that's maybe a yard below the average for a ball out quick time. You expect a lot of those passes, they're very high percentage of completions. They often go to the outside, little screens, little dump offs, um, uh, slants and whatnot, but they tend to be high percentage of passes, usually for short yardage. Very rarely are they a, a you know a deep shot, uh, but you do occasionally have a deep shot down the sideline. But but it's actually fairly rare. 
Um, so 4.6 yards per play, a little bit below average, but but that's not where Geno Smith had trouble. Now we get into pressure. The Ravens generated 18 pressures on only 32 dropbacks, 56%. They, I believe that's their highest of the year. They were over 51 other time, if I recall correctly. That included four sacks and one turnover. And with that turnover was on a strip sack. So um, with pressure, Geno Smith with three of 14 plus four sacks for minus 13 net yards, minus 0.7 yards per play. Now there's bad and there's incredibly bad. And that that fits into the uh, really incredibly bad uh, group there. There was one other quarterback recently, might have been Dobbs, who was at minus 2.3. But they uh, uh, that's that is just utterly horrible to be below zero net yards per per pass back pass play like that. I mean that that's that's so impressive by the Ravens defense to be able to put generate those types of numbers. Um and it gets it gets to the you know the pressure obviously impacting the quarterback, but also having the coverage on the back end. So it's not just leaving open receivers who are running free. You know, that that was kind of the hallmark of of the Martindale pressure events often when you you brought six, seven guys to, to generate that pressure, there's somebody who was open behind it. Um, that's not the case any longer with, with this defense. So, um, yeah, you're, you're, if, if you're not getting the ball out quick, you're, you're often either taking a sack or or throwing it away because mm-hmm. there's nothing else that you can do in this against this defense. And 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 this is a team with with good you know wide receivers. You know, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith and Jigba. This is not a a, a team with with slouches at the the receivers. Um, they have good running backs. You know, their offensive line might not be the best but it's not you know a horrific unit by any stretch um just it just goes to show you how how good they can be i i think they did with with regard to your last point about the offensive line i think they did play with some of the discontinuity they've had on the offensive line just in this game they went with jason peters at right tackle and they switched to stone Forsyth during the game and i i don't know i mean we're we're collecting notes on a play-by-play basis and having to go back and check if it's 70 or 78 at right tackle who's getting beat but i mean they were showing up fairly regularly in the notes some of the They've got discontinuity in other spots too. They've had, uh, I think, something like eleven different lineup combinations so far this year. That's what the Know Your Foe guy had mentioned. So it, it was an impressive. Um, you know, I, I think they, I think they did a good job trying to show Smith color under these circumstances and try and do some things like simulated pressure that can really screw up an offensive line and get them having trouble. And stunts as well are good for that. Yeah, I, I think in, this, the stunts in this game in particular were, were very effective. Oh yeah, um, and and that's one of the things that can can be really useful against an offensive line that's not necessarily used to playing so much together. The communication is a big part of 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 picking up stunts, and and the Ravens took advantage of that. Yeah. So let's let's go with the stunts first, since you're talking about it. But they had ten plays on which they stunted, a total of thirteen stunts. So they had three doubles and seven singles among that. There used to be a player, the game X's and O's football, and player like people like my age will remember this game, or maybe even a little younger, that this this was around, and you usually had one player on the defense who had some play that was special for him, but otherwise, you know, you 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 ran a bunch of different plays and called a uh, one particular play was called Double Twist Willie, <laughs> and <laughs> and this is what this is the kind of uh, thing they run that was made to represent all these double twist plays. Anyway, uh, ten plays, seven yards on plays that had stunts. So 0.7 yards per play on those plays. Uh, Off-ball blitzes, 
something they did a little bit in this game, but only five times, 0.16 per play. That's very low. That would, you know, Wink Martindale would be uh, flipping out, having to blitz that little <laughs> from off ball. But 3.0 yards per play when they came with an off ball blitz. So that also gave Geno some trouble, even more than his overall poor passing in this game. And then here's the big one, simulated pressures. Um, they they used six times for two plus, and I got to go to my other sheet, which has this. And the total yardage on those was three yards. So 0.5 yards per play on, on simulated pressures. Then after all that, when they combined elements of deception, they did that six times for minus 10 yards. So it, it the more deception that he threw at them, Everything worked in this game. It was the, there were only a couple of big plays, the 50 and the 35 were plays, obviously, that didn't include any of this deception with them. Yeah, one of my favorite kind of pressure looks that, that they've used this year has been um, the, the the kind of the stunt up front with, I think it's often like Matt at BK kind of crashing down mm-hmm. and then either away looping around or Clowney, or sometimes you'll have Patrick Queen come in and kind of pick the the guard who is being already engaged and either leaves queen very open to kind of then mm-hmm. ping pong basically into a, a sack or the you know the the offensive lineman will kind of have to disengage to pick up queen and the the the, the other defender has a, has a clean look at, at the quarterback and and they've executed this you know exceptionally well on multiple occasions um it's it's a and that's one of those you know, combination type events where you have multiple different elements at play there. That, that's well described because the guy who runs the pick or the under player on the stunt is often Matabike, and he's diving right into that gap, that A gap usually between the garden center on one side. And those guys both get half a block there. And then when one block gets peeled off, that under player is often the guy who gets the big shot to take down the quarterback because the, the remaining block on him almost always is, is heavily disadvantaged in terms of its angle and uh, ability to hold off a player like Matapika, who's a pretty natural one-on-one shedder anyway. But uh, but when you know, we have one guy blocking at a 45-degree angle, he's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, and, and you know, Matapika's athleticism really – Taking advantage of in the in those stunts up front, he's quite a nimble um, player for his size. Someone who's you know I think around three hundred pounds, maybe two ninety. Um, he moves so so fluidly for for someone he's, his size. Um, obviously, Oway Clowney, they're both athletic. Van Noy, there's a lot of athleticism, agility up front, and, and th- that's needed on these stunts or in order to execute them effectively. And, and they've been taking advantage of that for sure. One thing that I kind of made the point at in the article, and people can go look at it because I'm not going to talk about it, although this is to say that Matabike and Pierce have been paired up this year a lot. I mean, in fact, they play the exact same 27 snaps in this game, and it's largely because they have complementary pass rush characteristics that they've been trying to use. And Matabike and Pierce are kind of pass rush specialists at this point. Both those guys are coming in on third down. It's not like the Ravens don't want them also on first and second down, but McDonald's at a point where he really needs to watch it in terms of keeping those guys healthy. And I think it's really going to be keeping those guys healthy so they can be effective rushing the passer down the stretch because uh, those that's the higher higher leverage plays where they're really going to get that, which means it's going to be, have to be a, a higher reliance on Travis Jones um, as we move forward. And he's playing great, by the way, too. But. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you know, that's a good point. And, and it's tough to kind of take Michael Pierce off the field on those, on those early down plays because he's also been dominant um, as a run offender at times. Um, 
so you don't necessarily want to lose that. Um, but I do think what he adds as an interior pass rusher and someone who can, you know, compress the pocket um, on a on a you know important third down is is more important than you know potential run defense on on a first and ten play. All right. Outstanding stuff. Gabe, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some individual performances. We're going to go through a mailbag and some questions there. We're going to talk about our MVP MVPs from this game because, hey, the Ravens got to win and we want to talk MVPs. But first, tell folks where they can uh, find your work and talk football with you online. Yeah. Um, so um, you can find me on, on Twitter um, at Gabe Fergie. Um, it's probably the easiest way to, to talk if you want to just you know drop a line or have a question about the Ravens. You want to discuss something. Um, and then we've kind of had a couple week hiatus, but we are back this week. Um, uh, the Situation Room on Film Study Baltimore. Um, we have a podcast, Jordan Coe and I. Um, so we, we recently dropped a couple, um, a, a short kind of, we're back and we have some interesting things to say about the Ravens. And then we're going to come back with a more detailed um, podcast about this this game and what we're looking forward to in, in the coming weeks as well, because um you know, we're about midway point through the season right now, and and I think there's a lot of thought about you know the season as a whole and and, and way things are headed. So we wanted to kind of chime in on that. Highly recommend um, Gabe and Jordan's pod. They're both regular guests on this show. You know that means I respect them a lot in terms of their opinions, how much fun it is to talk football with them. Because uh, it's a long commitment. By the way, I don't want to do this show with just anybody because it's a two-hour commitment to talk football with somebody. And you really want to – but having somebody who's, who you really enjoy just doing it with. But anyway, really appreciate you guys and 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 uh, what you do. And uh, it's some great stuff. You guys uh, need to give it a chance and, and uh, give it a listen. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, um, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'll get back to you very quickly. We'll see if we can turn your idea into a show, hopefully a 15- or 20-minute show. So let's not – you know recreate the big bang theory from you know as a retrospective here let's instead try and focus on some relatively small element of the ravens game and believe me it'll be a a more significant conversation than uh, than you think and uh, we can we can have some fun with that gabe thanks again for coming on yeah thanks for having me always appreciate it and it's always a good time we'll talk to you next time on film study Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.